No, I mean, I just think, you know, it's, it's all. It's, it's everybody. You know, the execution, you know, third down. Um, you know, they hit some big plays. You know, we weren't able to convert in the red zone. And they're, you know, defensively, we just, you know, couldn't stop the run. Number one key of the game. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's why you lose. Not, not, not because you miss a field goal at the end of the game. It's, it's a lot of things up, up to that. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in Nashville, partnered with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, Justin Mello, reminding you the best burger in Nashville is at the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Justin, how's it going? Well, it's always uh, interesting, right, when we're here to uh, recap a loss. Uh, a week one loss to the New York Giants, uh, the lowly New York Giants, may I add. So if there's one thing our listeners love, it's tuning in after a terrible, terrible loss. And yeah. uh, there's, no, there's no selling this short. Uh, this was a terrible loss. You heard it there from Mike Vrabel. It's not just about missing a last second field goal. There's a lot that goes into it. The Titans did a terrible job stopping Saquon Barkley all day. They, they really just had a bad second half. We're going to get into all of it, things that we liked from this game, what we learned about this team for this season, and our concern level heading into a game against maybe the NFL's best team as the Buffalo Bills destroyed the Rams on Thursday night football last week. Now the Titans will head to Buffalo on Monday night. Before that, we're going to recap this loss to the Giants. Yeah, the, the tough part about recapping a loss isn't just that the Titans lost. It's that going into this game, you and I expected them to win. You know, if they lose to Buffalo this week and we're recapping that loss, it's like, well, maybe they fought hard or whatever. But like losing to a Giants team that you dominated for the better part of three quarters in this game is really heartbreaking. Like it's just a bad taste in your mouth to start the season. Do I have concerns about how good this Titans team will be that they're not going to live up to our expectations now because of this loss? Not really. It's just like a bummer that they couldn't pull this win out. I mean, I, I might be in a different place than you are because it really depends how they respond to this, right? Like this was, this is a cupcake matchup, right? Again, I'm, I'm not going to sell that short. This is a bad Giants team and it's a bad Giants team on Monday morning and it will be on Tuesday and Wednesday. Like they're not a good football team. And this is, you know, a, they're in a transitional period under a new regime, right? New general manager, new head coach. They inherited some salary cap issues, the worst thing you can do is have salary cap issues and a bad roster. Like they're ready to flip this thing on its head completely, right? That's what they are. So <laughs> this is a bad loss and the schedule doesn't certainly doesn't get easier. So I'm not sure that it gets easier than the New York giants in all honesty, right? You're, you're potentially going from worst to best here with the Buffalo bills in week two, you got the Las Vegas Raiders in week three who yeah, lost yet yeah, on Sunday, but it was a five point loss to a good chargers team. Right. So it, it doesn't get easier. Right. So if you're staring 0 and 2, 0 and 3 in the face, then you've got legitimate issues. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, uh, but certainly there's got to be a, a sense of urgency here after this defeat. And I think there will be a sense of urgency. And it helps from the Titans standpoint that the Bills won in dominating fashion because you know you're not going to sleepwalk into this matchup. And the Bills might be riding a little bit high after such a big game. So on the emotional side of things, I think the Titans obviously stand a chance. I don't think Buffalo is just going to blow them out of the water. They could, but I don't necessarily think that that's just how it's going to go. But back on this game, the Titans did really good stuff for like three quarters. Like I said, 13-0 lead at halftime. They felt, it felt like they were just going to cruise to victory. I don't even then, know that I'd give them three quarters, not to interrupt you, but... yeah. 
gave up two 60 yard touchdowns essentially in, in the third quarter and was 13, 13. Like I'm not giving them three. I'm giving them two. Yeah. But for the first, yeah, I guess that's, that's true. The giants came out their opening drive, four plays, 60 yards keyed by that huge 68 yard run by Saquon Barkley. Barkley was more or less unstoppable in this game. You know, I mean, he, he finished with 164 yards rushing on just 18 carries, added another 30 yards on six receptions. He was the Giants' leading receptions getter, not leading receiver in yardage, but in terms of receptions, he had six to lead their team. Daniel Jones only threw four incompletions on 21 pass attempts, but one of those was a really horrible interception. And the, the sad thing is, I feel like the Titans didn't make that many shoot-yourself-in-the-foot mistakes. You know, like a lot of times last year, looking at this team, when they lost to the to the Texans, when they lost to the Jets, we're looking at all these interceptions Tannehill threw because he's throwing to scrub receivers. It wasn't that kind of a, a game. It was more like they can't convert on third and short. Why are they not converting on third and short? They're getting cute. They're running Wildcat and Henry drops a snap. They're running end arounds to Chigaquanco. They're passing on third and four, third and three when they have Derrick Henry in the backfield. And... Kyle Phillips muffs a punt. That's like the only real shoot yourself in the foot mistake. That led to the Imani Hooker end zone interception. So the Titans like didn't even suffer from that. It was more they gave up big plays. Like I feel like they bottled up the Giants offense for the majority of the day. They gave up a huge touchdown to Sterling Shepard, the 68-yard run to Barkley, the 33-yard run to Barkley, keyed their other touchdown. Like those were their three touchdowns. One came off the 68-yard run, one came off the huge throw to Sterling Shepard, a 65-yard touchdown, and one came off the 33-yard one to Barkley, which was the final one. So you eliminate giving up the big play, and this could have been a blowout for the Titans, but they give up those three big plays and really couldn't get the the stops in the red zone after that led to the loss. Really was a tale of two halves, right? Like you're up 13-0 at the break. I, I, I mean, me personally, I was feeling really good. Right? I think yeah. as everyone should have been right. Like the, you look at the giants first, I think five or six drives, like pretty much the entire first half, it went like punt, punt, fumble, punt, punt. Like they were not moving the ball at all. Several of those were three and outs. I think the most successful drive gained maybe 15, 20 yards uh, within those first five drives. Like, and then they come out in the second half. And like you said, they hit that big Barkley run which, you know, was well blocked up front and you miss a tackle with, a, you know, Amani Hooker there on the edge. It would have been a difficult tackle, but I, I think it qualifies as a missed tackle. Bud Dupree gets forced inside. Zach Cunningham's in a difficult spot. Christian Fulton takes a, a bad angle, but he's the forced defender, and that's really never uh, an ideal spot to put him in. Uh, you know, coming out of college, I think there were some questions about his tackling in the run game. So uh, credit to the Giants. They, they blocked it well up front, and then the, they hit the pass to Sterling Shepard. That's one I feel more comfortable placing blame at the feet of the Titans was really just one player, right? With Christian Fulton, because um, he's caught peeking into the backfield. I'm not sure, you know, he just really gets lackadaisical to a degree, right? And let Sterling doesn't think Sterling Shepard's going deep, call it what you want. I guess he's leaning on feel. I, I don't know what indication he had that Sterling Shepard's not, not running deep there, but he gets caught peeking into the backfield and really just lets Shepard blow, blow by him for an easy, easy um, 65 yard touchdown. So there were a lot of mental errors here, uh, a lot, some, some defensively, but I think even more offensively. Yeah. And when you talk about the mental errors, some of it is, you know, like, is Henry dropping the snap on third and one a mental error? Yeah. But also some of the play calls on third down, like I mentioned this off the top, you have Derrick Henry in the backfield. 
Now, on some of the third and longs, you get it. But here are all the Titans' failed third down conversions. Uh, shout out to Jamal, at Jamalisms on Twitter for tweeting this out. But friend of the Titans pod. failed. Th- yep, friend of the pod, Jamal. Titans failed third down conversions. A third and five pass deep right to Robert Woods. His um, One of his only two targets, the one he didn't catch. Woods with two targets. We'll get to that in a second. Third and eight pass deep left to Burks. That's the one that seemed like it should have been pass interference. And... I mean, he, he got tackled and there was no flag. That was a pretty blatant missed call. Third and four, pass short right to Henry. Goes through his hands at the sideline. He never really had a chance to make a play there. The ball came out late. His route took him way too close to the sideline. I don't know what was even up with that play. Third and four, pass short left to Phillips. Tannehill like grounded it in the dirt in the middle of three defenders. He shouldn't have even thrown that one. Third and one, Henry Wildcat dropped snap. Third and two, pass short right to Hilliard. Third and three, pass short left to Nick Westbrook-Akina. Third and one, a Quanco left end. We got a third and two, a third and three, and a third and one that were not handoffs to Derrick Henry. And were all those in the second half? Those those ones were all in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. And the Hillier and one was a drop. Yes. And the and Westbrook one, if I recall, was a bad throw. A lot of defenders in the area. Right. Similar to the Phillips one from, from before. Yeah. So... Is it the play calling? Is it the execution? Would Henry have been bottled up anyway? The Giants were all over Henry for most of this game. He was ripping off like sometimes three to five yard little chunks in there where it felt like he could have been stopped for even less of a gain. He had one big run, an 18 yard run. That was his longest run of the day. He had another big run that got called back for a really bad call on an Aaron Brewer hold. That was weak. Phantom call. It was. Aaron Brewer got called for two holds. I'm not sure he held on either one. That's just a tough break. That's the way football goes sometimes. But what about the Titans' leading receivers? The Titans' three leading receivers in this game were Kyle Phillips, six catches, 66 yards. Dontrell Hilliard, three catches, 61 yards. Traylon Burks, three catches, 55 yards. So Robert Woods, one catch on two targets. Austin Hooper, one catch on two targets. Nick Westbrook, one catch on two targets. Those are the three guys we thought were going to be, at least early in the season, anchoring the passing game while Kyle Phillips and Traylon Burks came up, came along slowly while Dontrell Hilliard contributed in spurts. Well, Dontrell Hilliard, two touchdown catches in this game, both of which were really well-designed plays with him coming out of the backfield. First one, he's hit in the end zone. The second one, he sprints down the sideline into the end zone. Two really nice plays, I thought. But where are your star receipt? Like, Robert Woods, maybe he's... Feeling more of the ACL than we thought. Nick Westbrook, I'm glad they're going to Traylon Burks over Nick Westbrook, but we need, the Titans needed some of these guys to step up and make plays. And I don't know, Austin Hooper was playing less snaps than Jeff Swaim. Jeff Swaim leads the skill position group in snaps where it's so hard to look back and, and place the blame, but we always like to play this game. Is it on the play calling? Is it on the personnel usage? Is it on the players themselves? Where do you fall on that right now? Well, I've got a lot to say and I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I think it's a marriage of both. And I think, you know, everyone, I'm seeing a lot of people on Titans Twitter, you know, clamoring. It, it's easy to blame Todd Downing, fire Todd Downing. Um, I'm by no means a Todd Downing apologist. I think he's average in all honesty. I don't think he's a terrible offensive coordinator. I don't think he's a great, you know, Arthur Smith level offensive coordinator. Um, a couple of things. The Derrick Henry Wildcat, that's one that really is getting to me today still because I, I love I like that play call. I like it a lot. Yeah, They've had success with that play call uh last season. 
And I don't care that the defense knows that Derrick Henry's in the wildcat and he's probably going to run it. Hey, he could throw it. He has thrown it before, right? We saw that in, in the playoffs against the Ravens right. a few years ago where I think it was Corey Davis he hit for a touchdown. Chiefs, he threw it to Pruitt yeah. against the Chiefs last threw year. Threw one against the Chiefs as well the following season, right? So I love that play call. I think Derrick Henry probably picks up that first down. It's ridiculous that he didn't catch the snap, right? It's absolutely ridiculous, unforgivable to a degree because he's a, he's a pro. He's your best player. He's a pro. He's a 2,000-yard rusher. He's got to catch the snap, right? It, it's something so simple. The Chigakwonkwo play is one that I've got quite a bit to say about that. Not everyone may agree with me on, but I think, first of all, let, let me start with this. I'm conservative. I'm an old school, boring football guy. On third and one, I almost always believe in handing it to Derrick Henry. That is me. Like if Derrick Henry, if they hand it to Derrick Henry and he gets stuffed, there's probably a lot of people jumping on Twitter saying it's so predictable. The Giants had eight in the box, nine, whatever they have. It's so obvious. It's it's not creative enough. I'm not that guy. I would sit there and live with it because I think we, you hang your hat on being a physical football team, on winning in the trenches, on having a 6'3", 250-pound back, who's one of the greatest running backs of all time, in my, in my opinion, and is certainly one of the greatest running backs in over this previous decade. I believe in handing the ball to Derek. I don't care that it's predictable. Go block it and win the play. Do your job, execute your assignment, win the play. So I'm in favor of handing the ball to Derrick Henry on every third and one, on every third and inches. I don't care. Hand the ball to Derrick Henry. I I, kind of prefix that by saying this because I don't want people to think I like the Chigaquanquo play call because I personally wouldn't have called it. But I do think it's one of those plays where if Taylor Lewan executes his assignment and wins his block and and Chigaquanquo picks up the first down – everybody is hopping on Twitter and praising the play call. Oh my God. Nobody saw that coming. I love that. It's your rookie tight end. Might've been a Quanko's first touch of the game. I know he eventually recorded a reception, but I think that it was, if it wasn't his first touch, no, it was, that was his, his second. And I only, it think was he his had second. Two. He only had two though. Right. Yeah. So it's not like he's been involved in the game plan all game long. And the giants could see that coming a mile away. no, I think that's one of those plays, and it may not be the most popular thing for me to say, but I think it's one of those plays where if he picks up the first down, we're all praising the creativity. We love it. I don't like it because I'm in favor of turning around and handing it to Derrick Henry. But again, I think it's really easy to pile on the play call when Taylor Lewan and I I can't remember who else, they don't execute their block up front. And that's the main reason why they didn't pick up that first down. And the Giants' defense simply wasn't fooled. They had linebackers and safeties crashing hard at Chig as soon as he took the handoff. But I totally agree with you. I didn't hate the play call in the moment. It just didn't work out. You didn't catch the defense in the right look. You didn't fool them with the misdirection. You didn't execute the block. You didn't make the first guy miss. Like, none of the things that have to go right for that play to work went right. But... It doesn't make it a bad play call necessarily. I like the idea of getting the ball in the hands of someone you think can make plays in a creative way. Do you not want, maybe in that situation of the game, 
isn't the best time to pull it out because you get that first down, you likely win the game. You ice, you, you likely ice things. So maybe it's better there just to stick it with your, your workhorse back and let him drive forward for a first down. But at the same time, you know, if he gets, if he runs up the middle and gets stuffed into, into a wall, everyone's going to sit here saying like, Oh, you just ran Henry right into the middle. It's like unpredictable. Yeah. Everyone's too, complaining. Yeah. But again, exactly. I want to so make it clear. You can't lose. You can't win honest. there. Yeah. I wouldn't have called it. I'm, I am boring, stale, and predictable. <laughs> Handed to Derrick Henry. I wouldn't have called it, but I, I, I do think um, that everyone would have been praising it to the moon and back if, if it works and it picks up the first down. And if they block, and if they execute their blocks, they do their assignment, it probably, does, even if you didn't fool the drive, block them, pick up the first down, it works. You feeling good about the play this morning? Yeah, the, the the big things here in this game, I think that the reason the Titans lost is they failed to convert in the red zone when they got there. They failed to get stops in the red zone, except for the one interception, and they failed to make big plays in the passing game really happen. I mean, when Dontrell Hilliard is your has your longest pass play of 31 yards. Kyle Phillips had a 21-yard catch. That's a pretty good play. That's what set up the field goal. Traylon Burks had a 27-yard catch and run. You love to see that. Cody Hollister had a 22-yard catch, tapping his foot down on the sideline, which was actually... That was an incredible catch by Cody Hollister. But they didn't really have any plays targeting a receiver on like a really down the field go route type of play or deep post route type of play. I mean, the one play, Burks like one, I guess, the I Burks one, PI. Yeah, the Burks PI is the only one that comes to mind where you're like trying to take the top off the defense and make a huge play happen. I wish this Titans team would do that, would just take a few more shots per game on some of those second and shorts or downs when you know you're going to have another chance to pick up the first if you don't convert the big play. Keep the defense backing up. You know, everyone's creeping forward to try and stop Derrick Henry. I don't have huge complaints about the play calling. I thought there's a few play calls you're going to want to, you would want to take back. That's going to be every single game. And a few play, like a few times where I'm just missing a deep shot type of play call, but maybe those calls came in and the the look wasn't there and it just didn't play out. That's my, really my only complaint about the, the offensive coordinating in this game. And it, it seems like everyone's trying to point the fingers there. I really think this is one of those a million if games if this goes right if this goes right if one other thing goes right and all that said the titans blew this game they blew their lead and they still had a 47 yard field goal as time expired to win the game 29 out of 32 teams in this league that have a 47 yard field goal to win the game are gonna hit it it's not a 57 yard field goal it's not a crazy field goal the titans did as much as they could to blow this game and they still did enough as a team to win it and you just are devastated that the kicker comes up short and you just knew it was going to miss right i mean as a titans fan watching that game like yeah. did you have any confidence that you were going to be fist pumping as the clock expired because i didn't no i i knew i, I felt confident that he was going to miss it now before we get to the <laughs> final drive there i want to say a couple more things about the offense i think we're in agreement that this is probably both i'm not i'm certainly not absolving coaching of blame i think they definitely deserve some blame but i also think players execution and all that deserves a fair amount of blame as well i think one of my biggest issues offensively is not getting your horses involved right some of the things you alluded to like I think it's technically three targets for Robert Woods, and I'll explain what I mean in a second here. Um, first of all, Ryan Tannehill's first completed pass of the game goes to Robert Woods. Yeah, 13 yards, play action, 
you love to see it, right? You, you, right away, you kind of feel good about, this is why you brought Robert Woods here, right? He's such a good fit for this offense, the play-action passing game. You saw it literally immediately, right? Payoff yeah. immediately. And that ends up being his lone reception of the day. Um, I forgot about the target that went to him on third down that was incompleted. Uh, there was a, sorry, there was an incomplete pass. Because the other target that I'm remembering, I guess, doesn't go down statistically as a target. But didn't he draw like a holding play on, yeah. on, a, on a pass? So it doesn't go down as a target because it, it goes down as a penalty. It gets wiped from, from the stat box. Um, my point is, it's in the look, it's, I understand it's an impossibly small sample size. But for the most part, good things happened when you were targeting, when you targeted Robert Woods, right? He came up with a 13-yard chain-moving reception uh, near the beginning of the game. Again, Tamil's first completion. He drew a penalty on another target. 66% of his targets, right? Good things happened. Why are you only targeting Robert Woods three times? Now, look, yeah. I, I, I raised my hand. I haven't had a chance, you know, to review the All-22. I don't know if Robert Woods was blanketed all game long and then he was covered and wasn't getting open, not getting separation, yada, yada. Um, but it seems like there was probably a missed opportunity here to get Robert Woods more involved. You talked about Jeff Swaim leading all skill players. I mean, that blew my mind when I saw it last night, right? I think it was 46 snaps according to Next Gen Stats. By the way, the numbers are always slightly different between Next Gen Stats and what Jim Wyatt tweets. I don't understand how that happens, but they're always slightly off. One of them's counting penalties or not counting penalties or something weird like that. That's the explanation. Okay. Well, regardless, he let, you know, that's crazy to me. Right. And Mike Vrabel's asked about it on Monday and just flat out says he's the, the best blocking tight end we have. Well, then why did you go sign Austin Hooper, you know, one year, $6 million. If you want to just play quote unquote, your best blocking tight end, uh, stunned that Hooper, you said it was two targets for Hooper. Yeah. One reception. I think it went for six yards. Astonishing, right. That you don't get him at all. Traylon Burks, three catches for 55 yards. Was it? I think was on the field for what, 22, 25% of offensive snaps. John Glennon had tweeted uh, a statistic from Next Gen Stats. He he was getting four yards of separation on average, right? I think per, per pass route run. I mean, the, all, the chatter was Traylon Burks can't separate, right? Had no issue separating yesterday. No. He looks He's still good. playing way behind, right? And in, in deep into the receiver rotation, right? Playing uh, just uh, north of 20 snaps. Got to get Traylon Burks more involved. You cannot go into games with Jeff Swaim and Dontrell Hilliard as your two biggest weapons in the passing game. It's that to me is is the biggest coaching malpractice, the biggest neg- the biggest negligence here uh, when you're essentially ignoring Robert Woods, Austin Hooper, and, and Traylon Burks. I like what we saw from Kyle Phillips. I think a team high nine targets, six receptions. That was great, right? It was the continuation of what you sort of expected based on what you saw from him in training camp and, and, and spurts in the preseason. Obviously, he cannot have that muff punt. That is a, a, a at the 15 yard line, I think it was. That's a giant, giant no no. Puts a bit of a dark cloud on his debut. And I know the Titans bailed him out defensively with the end zone interception from Amani Hooker. You still can't have it, right? It obviously yeah. doesn't make up for it, uh, you know, from, from a technical aspect. So my biggest issue is certainly with, with Hooper, uh, Woods, and Burks and the lack of involvement. And you got to fix that because guess what? You're going to play a really good Buffalo team in week two. And you can't go there uh, targeting the likes of Dontre Hilliard and Jeff Swain and expect to win that football game. Yeah, I totally agree. We'll talk a little bit more about this game in a second. But first, let's take a quick break to remind everyone about the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Nashville's premier burger parlor and beer garden. Since 2011, over 10 years of trust, you can call ahead for seats 
you know, no waiting when you get there. Call ahead. Let them know you're coming. You'll get a table. It's easier to get a table than ever before. And like, like I've said on the last week's show, and I want to really stress this, it's affordable for families. The kids' meals, only $6. That comes with a side. Family, a family of four can eat for under $50. And that's with mom and dad each having a drink at dinner. You got worsts. You got the soda rail and the soda parlor with a true antique refurbished soda gun from the 1950s with all the syrups made in-house. You got to take your family to the pharmacy in Nashville, Justin. Graver might be a soda guy. I'm more of a beer guy myself, so this podcast is going to get a little different now. Do me a favor. Next time you're at the pharmacy, get the pharmacy pills. Do that for me, please. That's a collaboration beer. I'm a big beer guy. I love collaborations. When two of your favorite people collab, it's the best. Uh, A collaboration between the pharmacy and the bearded iris. Please get it. It is a fantastic beer. You will not regret it. Check out the pharmacy in East Nashville, located 731 McFerrin Avenue. And uh, tell them the, the Music City Audible sent you, and uh, we'll appreciate it. They'll appreciate it. All right, let's get back to it. I'm encouraged by the rookie performances across the board here. Let's hit on all four rookies who played significant snaps really quickly. Um, obviously, Traylon Burks, he wasn't out there as much as you we would have liked to see, but he was out there enough to contribute. I mean, he contributed – Pretty dang well with with the long catch and run that he had. Three catches, 55 yards, a pretty good day for a rookie receiver. Obviously, Kyle Phillips already feels like Ryan Tannehill's third down go-to guy. He was huge on the, the last drive to set up the missed field goal, not only with the big catch, but drawing penalties. The Giants secondary was holding receivers all day. There was that one play you mentioned. With, I mean, Robert Woods and and Kyle Phillips were both like grabbed and held on one particular yeah. play. Chigaquanco makes a big catch and run when the Titans really needed a conversion, even though he didn't have a huge day overall. And Nicholas Petty Frere, I think the best thing I can say about him is I didn't really notice him in pass protection. Granted, I don't know who the Giants are even lining up as edge rushers in this game with Aziz Ojulari and Kayvon Thibodeau both out. So it's not necessarily the biggest test next week against Gregory Rousseau and Von Miller, although Von Miller will line up mostly against Taylor Lewan. But Gregory Rousseau, that'll be a more interesting match. But I'm encouraged, at least, from the four rookies who did play from what I saw on the field. Yeah, I think Petit Friere, uh, as you said, we, you didn't notice him. It's a great sign. I, I think he did have one false start, which was his lone uh, mishap. If I'm recalling correctly, I'm, I'm pretty confident he was called for a false start. Um, that was one of the, it came shortly after one of the Aaron Brewer penalties, if I recall. Uh, Taylor Lewan had a late false start. But no, uh, the, the challenge is going to be monumental for him next week, right? It's, it's night and day difference. And I know, you know, Von Miller spends a lot of time. Uh, lined up above the left tackle or across the left tackle. I'm not convinced that that's going to, I, you know, I don't know that the Buffalo bills don't go into this game plan and say, Hey, let's go after the rookie as opposed to going after the pro bowler and Taylor Lewan. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But regardless the, the risk, the, the challenge is going to be there, whether it's Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, even Boogie Basham who played really, the bills are really, really deep on the edge. And, and they, AJ Epineza, former Iowa standout, they used all of them against the Rams. I wrote about that for the draft network. They used all of their edge rushers against the Rams. So, uh, but I, no, I agree. It was a good debut for him, which we expected based on the injuries for the, the at, at the edge position. Um, we've talked uh, in at length about Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips. Can we go to that last drive? Real quick. Yeah, let's talk about it. What do you want to say? To me, just an unfathomable decision that they settle for the 47-yard field goal. And, and you're right. I'm glad you said it because myself, a lot of we focused on that decision, clock management, and all that. 
Ryan, Randy Bullock should still make the kick, right? That's what you said, and I'm glad you said it because I think we're not focusing on that enough. 47-yard field goal, he should make it, made a 46-yard one earlier. But for me, the fact that they were willing to settle, I can't imagine ever settling for a 47-yard field goal attempt Unless I have Justin Tucker or Harrison Butker back there, I cannot imagine settling for a 47-yard field goal. I don't know if that's just me. I hated it before the kick. Before they got the kickoff, I, I cannot believe that first. And, and let's talk about the manner in which they settled for it. They were moving the ball at ease. Ryan Tannehill was excellent on that drive. He was four of six uh, passing attempts. Two of his first completions, you had an unblocked rusher streaming off the edge. I saw disaster in my mind. Tannehill gets it off. I think both of those completed passes went to Kyle Phillips. One of them only went for four or five yards. The other one went for eight or nine. The fact that he got those passes off of that unblocked edge rusher screaming at him, I saw all but sack, probably drive over, right? Certainly a drive killer. No, Ryan Tannehill, terrific poise in the pocket, gets those passes off. Right before you decide to settle, he hits Kyle Phillips for a 21-yarder towards the sideline. It looks like you had won the game. You're going to go pick up 5-10 more, more yards. That's essentially an automatic kick. You had no reason to believe you couldn't pick up that yard, right? The way you were moving yeah. the ball. You had two holding penalties on the Giants in the secondary. Like Not only did Tannehill complete a ton of passes, he also had two holding penalties. They couldn't cover. They were gassed. They were struggling. I could not believe that they settled for that field goal attempt. On top of it, now, one thing I want to touch on in addition, and I know I'm going here, and I'll, I'll let you go in a second. A lot of focus on the timeout and the clock management, right? 18 seconds left. The clock's winding down. Mike Vrabel calls it the third and final timeout. A lot of hate for that decision. Similar to, I've got a similar opinion to the Aquanco end around. I think that's very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If Mike Vrabel doesn't call that timeout and you lose five yards and he ends up missing the field goal, we're all saying, how can Mike Vrabel willingly lose five yards, right? In a, in a, in a situation where you know it's probably going to come down to a kick, how can you lose five yards? I can at least understand the line of thinking why Mike Vrabel called the timeout there. Now, look, it ended up being the wrong decision. I think we can agree with that because it looked like Ryan Tannehill got the snap off, right? Yeah. But there was a high probability that he was not going to get the snap off, in my opinion, right? As that thing was winding down, I had already said, oh, my God, they're about to take a delay of game. This is terrible when you're in field goal range trying to, trying to win the game. So I can at least understand the line of thinking. Where I can't understand the line of thinking is settling for a 47-yard field goal. That's where I'm at on this final drive. You're in a 44-yard field goal situation after the pass to Kyle Phillips. You lose three yards, right, on a three uh, on a sneak trying to get a bullet to his preferred hash. First of all, you could probably never lose three yards in that situation. You may lose one or none. They lost three. That went poorly. But for that to have happened, and then you almost have to settle, right, for the field goal because you had no timeouts left. You got to spike it and get the kicker ready. But I, I, don't, I wouldn't have even settled for the 44-yarder, in all honesty. I'm trying to hit. You had 18 seconds left. I know you had no timeouts. I tr I'm trying to hit a quick five-yard hitter, make that a 39, 38-yard field goal, 18 seconds left. That only takes four or five seconds. You got 13, 14 seconds to line up and spike the thing plenty of time. So for me, the biggest issue here is lining is settling for the field. It's not I the totally timeout. Agree. It's the field. Yeah, I fully agree. You should have time to get a five-yard out 
done and extra five yards there maybe makes the difference in that game especially if you undo the three yard loss of Tannehill trying to set it up on the correct hash mark and even if the Giants are like covering for that then Tannehill sails the ball out of bounds and it's no harm done the clock stops and you kick it from where you are and if the Giants are really playing up to take out take away the quick out try to hit it over the top and you don't even need a field goal if you get a miraculous end zone shot or or another pass interference downfield like continuing to try is the point here I think like only good things can happen could Tannehill have thrown a game losing interception possibly but you'd hope that he would sail the ball out of bounds if a guy was covered in that situation I do want to touch on Tannehill before we talk briefly about the defense and wrap up this episode Tannehill played a pretty dang good game you know we I I talked about it earlier the the losses last season that were unexpected were mostly because Tannehill turned the ball over in big big spots Tannehill was clean on Sunday I thought he did a good job feeling pressure getting out of the pocket he he picked up a really great first down with his legs that I thought he was going to get smashed into the oh, sidelines yeah. and he, he got the edge and picked up the first down. He did take one sack, but overall he felt the pressure pretty well. He read the blitz and got the ball out quickly, not just on the last drive, like you mentioned with those two outs to Phillips, but there was another play that stands out in my head where he like, it was like a third and four or something. He snaps the ball really quickly and hits Phillips right at the marker. And he took a big hit, but it was one of yeah, those like, right read the blitz, get the ball out. He was accurate with most of his throws. He did have those two, one to Phillips, one to Nick Westbrook, where he like threw it into what felt like triple coverage and kind of just dirted it at the receiver's feet um, where he maybe could have gone a different place with the ball. But overall, Tannehill did everything you could ask of him. He he got down the field for the game-winning field goal chance. I mean, I'm not really like, as far as looking ahead this season, on the one hand, it's like, dang, Tannehill played well and the Titans still couldn't beat the Giants. But on the other hand, it's like, Tannehill looks good. He's not going to be the problem, you hope, for most of this season. I feel encouraged by his performance. I agree. I thought he played w- very well overall. Two or three errant throws. Every quarterback in the NFL has two or three errant throws weekly. None of them were damning. You know, a couple of them short in the dirt, slightly inaccurate, whatever. Uh, I thought for the most, I thought he played a really good game overall. I mean, certainly at, probably at the bottom of my list for the reason why the Titans lost this game. Right, exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the defense. We recovered some of the the problems, but I was really encouraged by the first half, especially the the pass rush, the defensive front. Even without Harold Landry, generated tons of pressure. They had sacks. They had strip sacks. Bud Dupree got a sack. Jeffrey Simmons got a strip sack that Bud Dupree picked up. It looked like they were getting pressure on Daniel Jones pretty frequently. I wasn't necessarily expecting them not to with the loss of Harold Landry because they still have a lot of talented guys up front. But you have to be encouraged that they were able to get this much pressure without their leading sack artist from last year. They finished the game with five sacks and a strip sack and fumble recovery. Huge plays by the defensive line that make you feel a little bit better, I think, about this defense going forward with with and their ability to mitigate the loss of Harold Landry. Yeah, I, I, I think you said it. That's perfect, right? Jeffrey Simmons looked outstanding. Like, like those two sacks were incredible. That one where he hit the swim move and just relentless, kept getting after the quarterback, forced the fumble, as you said, Bud Dupree with a recovery. But it was nice to see Bud Dupree get a sack, get on the stat sheet early. As we talked about last week, they're going to need a big performance from him this year uh, to help uh, with the loss of Harold Landry. I think the performance I'm probably most encouraged by is Rashad Weaver, right? Like two sacks in this game. We know he's due for a a big increase in playtime with the loss of Landry, probably the largest benefactor, right? We know there's going to be some old uh, Danny mixed in there. Uh, Dina Coatry can play outside. 
side. But I think Weaver uh, is probably going to get the majority of the snaps, um, at least to make up for Landry's absence. Two sacks for Rashad Weaver. Uh, I'm of the opinion that he's going to flirt with a double-digit sack season this year. Yeah, he's already he's already one fifth of the way there. The one play where he read the keeper Daniel Jones that they first counted as tackle for loss and then switched it to a sack later. A great read. He was aggressive in the backfield quickly. His other sack was also a nice play to get to the quarterback. Jeffrey Simmons had two sacks too. Jeffrey Simmons had a tackle for loss that was just like he oh. exploded into the backfield and flattened. I think it was Saquon in the backfield. It, it was, was unbelievable. But yeah, Rashad Weaver wasn't just in the backfield for the sacks. Like he was making plays all game. He had two QB hits in addition to the sacks. I think he is a guy that you can rely on for a lot of snaps in Harold Landry's absence. And I think he's going to have a pretty big season. Double digit sacks. Absolutely in play for Rashad Weaver. I'm chalking up a W uh, next to my name for my Rashad Weaver pre-draft evaluation because I really liked him coming out. Uh, I had a top 100 grade on him. Titans ended up getting, I think, in the fourth round, was it? Closer to like 140th overall. Just a guy that's really relentless as a pass rusher. Great hands, solid technique. The motor's always running hot. I think there is a, you know, a, a lack of maybe dynamic ability, that, that, that flexibility, that, that ability to bend the edge. I don't know that that's there in spades. And that's probably why he slipped to where he did um, in the draft. But there's other ways to skin a cat, right? That's the old saying. And Rashad Weaver gets after the quarterback one way or another. Powerful guy, great bull rush, advanced hands. Technique is there. Relentless red hot motor. I'm a big Rashad Weaver fan, and I do think he's going to get 10 plus sacks this season. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. So hopefully that comes to play. Now, let's talk about the defense. Tale of two halves that you mentioned earlier. They allowed 116 yards in the first half. Pretty good half. 278 yards allowed in the second half. Just a total breakdown. And I'm not really sure how it happened. <laughs> Christian Fulton missing the, the coverage, just like not just like turning around mid route and not following his man, letting Saquon get the edge and missing a couple tackles. Those are huge plays, but overall the defense just needed to get a couple of crucial stops. On the two-point conversion, they had Saquon Barkley dead to rights in the backfield. Two guys there. Saquon jumps laterally, makes them both miss, and gets in the end zone. It just has to be a little bit better in all phases. Convert better on third downs. Get stops in the red zone. Convert in the red zone. Make the tackles in the backfield when you have the chance to. Is it really that simple? I think you mentioned at the top of the show how bad the Giants are. But it's still the NFL. Every team has yeah. great players like Saquon Barkley's, like Sterling Shepard's, that can make big plays and make things happen for their team if you allow them the opportunity to do so. It's a game of inches, right? The margin for error is so small. I think the Titans are positioned well for success this season if they can just do these little things a little bit better. And I'm really not worried going forward because Mike Vrabel, his teams since he took over here, have always gotten better from the beginning of the season to the end. We've seen it with the playoff runs, three straight years making the playoffs. Last year, get blown out week one to Arizona, end up with the one seed. But where I think this loss really hurts you is when we get towards the end of the season, when we're looking at the division standings and trying to clinch the division, we're trying to clinch a playoff spot or just determine seeding for a home game or whatever, you're going to look back on this week one loss and be like, man, that really hurts to have that loss not in the win column. You hope you can survive this one because it's an out-of-conference game. 
right? But I, I think this is a loaded AFC. If you're trying to hang on to something, uh, nobody won in the division, right? The Colts and yeah. Texans tied on Sunday, uh, which is hilarious, by the way. Jacksonville lost uh, to wa- the Washington Commanders. That, that one came down to the wire. By the way, Colts fans are, are coming at me on Twitter strongly for making fun of them before the Titans lost. I can kind of get that. But I don't think if the rules were reversed, I would have come after anyone if I had just tied the Houston Texans. Like, that's yeah, not same. something I would personally be doing, but to each their own. <laughs> right. Well, overall, a pretty disappointing debut to the season for the Titans. You just hope they can get their stuff together, move on, flush it, and get ready for a huge matchup against Buffalo. Um, Justin, before we sign off, we need to remind everyone where they can get the best burger in Nashville. And that is at the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden if i was in nashville on following that loss on sunday first thing i would have done is head over to the pharmacy and get a burger because i need a pick me up after a loss like that and there's no better pick me up than the best burger in nashville the pharmacy baby absolutely agree we will we'll meet together there one day for an amazing burger and an amazing brew maybe we'll get a worst uh someday when we're both in nashville but until then that'll do it for this podcast episode music city audible thank you for tuning in thank you again to the pharmacy for presenting us with this show thanks to 440 sports and broadway sports media for the partnership we hope you all enjoyed the listen even if you didn't enjoy the game and we'll be back later this week to preview the buffalo bills with a special guest joe marino so stay tuned for that on thursday until then follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl follow me at titans film room everyone stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.